Psalm 62. That's my podcast, and if I don't forget to do it, it won't get loaded up. Waiting in the silence. This is an. This is, I don't know if it's the only psalm. It's one of the very few psalms that where David expresses no fear. He doesn't express any fear. Anything like that. It's just a a straight, direct song prayer uh, from David to the Lord. And he's waiting in the silence, but he does express the troubles that every person has, uh, and he is no different. So in a way, we can see ourselves, I guess, in this, uh, in this psalm. Again, I put Tanakh out by the side of the verses because I'm going to be one verse ahead of you. So you can subtract. If I'm four through whatever, four through six, yours will be three through five or something like that. First of all, he expresses his security in God. For the conductor on Dudutun, now Yadutun, that I should have capitalized that. That's actually a proper noun. That's a man. His name is in the Chronicles. He's one of the choir leaders, a, a leader of one of the three choirs of the temple. For the conductor, for or on, for Judutun. Yudutun, a song of David. Truly. Now, ach, first word in the Hebrew text is ach. It's the same word if you'll drop down and notice. Well, anyway, take my word for it. It's the same word in the Hebrew. It means truly or alone or only. Maybe a better translation here would be alone, my soul. Because when, when one is alone, the, the weight is, is very real. That's the point that's made here. Alone, my soul silently waits for Elohim. From him is my salvation. Only he, there's the same Hebrew word, ach. Only he is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, my defense, my fortress, so that I shall not falter or quake or shake, slip greatly. Now let's talk about this. He's, he's talking about here his security that's in God. He's alone. He's not saying anything. He is sitting silently, just waiting for Elohim. Now that's, that's hard to do. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for deliverance of some kind, salvation, deliverance. Again, in the throes of trouble, personal trouble, it's the same kind of trouble. He'll describe it a little bit here as we go along. But the way he starts out is that he, he's just, 
He, he mentions it, but he's not that worried about it. He's sitting alone. Who can he trust? One of the things is that he is going to mention here is how people, he's surrounded by people who, who deceive him and lie to him and tell lies about him. So he doesn't have anybody he can trust, but he can trust Elohim. Who else do you need? God. Only he is my rock, solid rock, tower of strength, and my salvation, my stronghold, so that I shall not, I shall not slide very far one way or another. It's like, it's like the earth is quaking all around. It affects me a little bit. But I'm not going to go that far away from the one who is my rock, my anchor, my deliverance, my salvation, my stronghold, my fortress. I won't go that far away from where I need to be. I may slide a little bit and things may really get to me, but I'm not going to slide that much. That's what, he, that's what he's talking about here. I'm not going to be moved Greatly from the place where I am. Of course, at this point, I'm sure he could reflect on all of the things that he has faced in his life. And it preceded Goliath. He talked about lions and, and bears, wolves, and facing them with his, with his sling, his rock. So he has faced danger and difficulty all of his life, and the Lord has brought him along. You know, it's the same way with us. We have trials early in life, and when we get later in life, we can almost laugh to think that we thought of those previous things as trials, you know? And your faith will deliver you. I mean, the Lord will deliver you, but your faith gives you this position. You're just not going to be moved. It doesn't matter how the, Chris will used to say, the outlook may be bad, but the uplook is always good. And ours is the uplook. And when you go through life and you've lived long enough, you realize that there's another stronger trial even a greater quaking of the ground around you. But because he brought you through the previous one, your faith is strengthened and you're not going to be greatly moved from where you are. And surely he carries you through that. Now your faith is stronger even and so forth through the next one. And, the, and they never stop. Even, even in, the old, in the time of old age and, and the greatest trial of all is to come face to face with physical death. But he has been true all through my life and he will be true to me now. When I went through those more minor experiences that were minor quakes in my life, I didn't know how it was going to come out, but it did because I stood with him. He is my rock, my salvation, my 
stronghold. The next earthquake was greater, but I wasn't that greatly moved and so forth until you get right to the end of all things. And the faith that you have has been conditioned through the trials of life. Now, David is like this. He's, he's advanced in his reign as king here. And so he can start out not expressing any fear, just saying, I'm going to sit here silently. And I'm just going to wait for God. I have learned in my life that he's my deliverer. I need deliverance again. I don't know how he's going to do it. And this is more difficult than the last one. But I'm just going to sit here silently and wait because there's no other person. There's no other method. There's no other way. Of course, there's no other God. There is only God. And so he will take care of me. And that's really the story of life. When we are in Christ, when we belong to God, when we are his, he gives us a life such that as we travel through it, we grow stronger in faith and closer to him. And more and more we feel his presence and we know more and more about him. And this is where David is. So he moves from the security aspect to observing the violence that is around. Now he addresses his enemies. Having expressed quietly and silently his faith and security in God. Now, to that which is around him trying to shake him from his place. How long will you plan destruction to man? You shall be murdered, all of you. That's the word. It's a strong word. You shall be murdered, all of you, as a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Something that has a purpose, it seems, but the purpose is meaningless because of its weakness and because it will ultimately fail. So he says, you're going to be fail. You're, you'll fail ultimately and you're going to die. And he speaks really of a violent death. Now he talks of himself in the third person. Only because of his loftiness, the king's loftiness, have they plotted to topple him. They would not have had the degree of interest in the man of whom he speaks had not that man been in a lofty position. The taller the tree, the stronger the wind. So then it is only because of his loftiness have they plotted to topple him. Now think of what his, what his thought process is here. I am in this position David the king, the king of God's people. And I'm in this position of authority and power and I have a covenant, a personal covenant with God or God has it with me. And he has established me and he has made promises to me unlike other promises because I'm the king. And the only reason I'm facing these problems is because of my loftiness. Because of my high position. Because of where I am, David seems then to be saying that 
when we are obedient to God and we are in the place where God would intend for us to be and we're trying to do the best that we can do, we're going to receive the greater attack. They delight in lies. With their mouth they bless, but inwardly they curse. Selah. So, it's the same problem that he mentions so many times in, in Psalms, in the Psalms. One of the, uh, maybe the most difficult adversary for a person whose, whose honor is very important and what he does is very important. Perhaps the greatest enemy, now David could wield a sword. He could sling a rock. He could kill a giant. He could defeat the Philistines and all of the others. But there was one thing that he had a hard time with, and that was a lying tongue. Say things about you. People who will deceive you, who will appear to be your closest friend when they're in front of you and that yet curse you when they're away. With the mouth they bless, but inwardly they curse. This is something that is very difficult to deal with. People who are deceitful and tongues that lie. James talks about a lying tongue. Did you know Christ, I've told you this in the New Testament. There are three Greek words that are translated hell in the, in the English version. Hades, the, the abode of the wicked dead, the netherworld, the dark netherworld where there's torment. That's Hades. That's the, that's the grave of the wicked. Hades. Hades. Secondly, and this word is only used once, it's used by Peter Tartarus. He speaks of a place that is the worst part of the netherworld. It's harsher and more cruel and deeper than hot as itself, and it's Tartarus. And it is where fallen angels are imprisoned. It's a worse place, it's a strong place. It's only used once. Peter uses it. It's translated hell. The other word is used only by Christ throughout the scriptures except in one other place. And that word is a Gehenna which speaks of the lake of fire at the end of all things. Now, Tartarus, Hades, everything gives up what's in it at the final judgment, the great white throne. And they're cast into Gehenna. They're cast into the lake of fire. That is the final fire. That is the awful, awful eternal destiny of, uh, of the, the utterly apostate. And there they spend eternity, including the devil and his angels. There's only one other person who uses that word Gehenna. Christ only uses it except for James. And he says that the tongue is set on fire by the flames of Gehenna. So it's a, 
A lying tongue is a damnable thing. It's horrible. You can't fight it. How do you fight it? Well, all you can do is just sit silently before Elohim and let him, and let him fight it for you. I've, I've, I've experienced deceitful people in my life. I'm sure you have too. Lying people. You know, you say, where did, the, where did that come from? What? It's like there are some people who want to throw everything they can up against the wall and see what sticks, right? This is what David is facing. He could, he could face down and kill a giant. He could gallop on his steed valiantly and bravely and courageously into the midst of an overwhelming army of Philistines with his army slashing with his sword but he just didn't know how to fight a lying tongue and a deceitful spirit. That's a hard enemy that God's people come against. And he talks about it here. He says, you're going to be murdered for your plans of destruction. You're useless like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Your uselessness will be exposed and you will be utterly Destroyed only because of his loftiness. Why do these things happen to God's people? Well, because we're God's people. And because we serve God in a way that God calls us. And it is the work of the enemy to destroy the people of God and our testimony. So David describes that here in verses four and five. And then he's back to talking security again. In, uh, well, it's my verses, six through eight, probably yours is five through seven. Only to Elohim should you hope or wait. The word could be, it's to, I guess it's, the word would be to wait hopefully and silently. Just let God be God. You know, he said, be still. And know that I'm God. Only to Elohim, to God, should you hope or wait silently, my soul. For my hope is from him. David has no hope in any man. We've been through recently in our studies in Samuel, we've been through the rebellion of Absalom. And people who had previously been close to David forsook him. They betrayed him. People that he had been good to cursed at him and threw rocks at him. So no wonder he doesn't trust anybody except Elohim because Elohim has never failed him. Never has failed him. My hope is from him. Only he is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not, there's that, be shaken or slip away or be moved from the place where I am. I shall not be moved away from this place. He's proven himself too many times. He is stronger than my enemies. My enemies can be invisible and they can... They can speak words that are sharper than arrows, but he 
knows how to deal with my enemy. So his, his absolute trust is in God, Elohim. Upon Elohim rests my salvation and my honor. God has made a covenant with David. It is because God established the covenant, God assumes the responsibility to see to it that the covenant is made true and is delivered and continues. It is an irrevocable covenant of grace. It's a covenant of grace. David didn't deserve it. But God chose him. I, t- I said this morning about how Moses had a particular call in his life, a particular calling. Nobody else in the scriptures was called or equipped to do what Moses did. Same with John the Baptist. All of the Bible characters that we look at, we can say, you know, this is what he was called to do. This was Elijah had his own particular call as, as a great prophet. But it was to bring the people Back away from the clutches of Jezebel. Only Elijah had that call. Nobody else. And we could go all the way through the characters of, uh, of the Bible. David is the same way. He had a call. David wrote in another psalm that God had trained his hands to war and his fingers to do battle and his feet to run swiftly. God did this. And when, when David tried to go beyond his calling, what God had called him and set him in the world to do, God had to stop him. David wanted to build the temple. He said, no, you're the man of war. A man of peace will build the temple. You, you can prepare, you can make all the preparations and you can buy the land and you can even lay aside the building supplies, whatever, but you can't be the king who builds the temple. There's blood on your hands. And that's what God called him to do was to establish Israel as this, as this kingdom, this nation so that they would be safe and prosperous for the temple then to be built by Shalom, by his son, whose very name means peace. He begins to recognize that This call is on his life. The hand of God moves him. And so as long as he lives, this is what God would have him to do. And this is the driving force of his life. Therefore, since God is the one who came up with the covenant and he didn't, he knows that God has assumed the responsibility of taking care of him until God has completed his work through David. And then David will die. Same with Moses, same with Elijah, same with John the Baptist all the way through. This special work, whatever it is, this this unique ministry, service to God for God's own. And God can do this. He's God. We're just his vessel. And he's the potter and we're the clay. So he says, I shall not be moved from this. He has established my honor. It rests on him. My salvation rests on him. He has put me in this position. 
He has called me to this place. He lifted me up to where I am. He is the rock of my strength. My shelter is in Elohim. And he won't find it anywhere else. And for all that David faced in his life, he successfully carried out his ministry, not because of who David is and not because of the strength that David had, but because of who God is. That's why David gets to the point where he says, he's my strength. I don't have the strength. He's my rock. I can't defend myself. He is my fortress. I can't keep myself in a position of safety, but he has called me, equipped me, and he keeps me and he uses me until he's through with me because we're his vessels. So he makes this exhortation that we might trust in Elohim, trust in him at all times. Now he uses that interesting word, people. It's not nations, it's people. He's speaking to his people, Israel. He's speaking to his kingdom, to God's people, Israel. Trust in him at all times, people. Pour out your hearts before him. The word to pour, the verb, is an emotional word. It can speak of tears. It can speak of moaning and groaning with, with great emotion. And this is the exhortation to trust. Trust in him at all times. Even in the little times, the big times, whatever times, trust in him for everything. This is life. That's the centrality. That's the, cent the central message of the Bible is a message for his people to have faith in him, to trust him in our lives and with our lives. And he'll use us until we're done and he'll call us home so that we can rest from our labors and, and, and be with him. Pour out your hearts before him. Elohim is our shelter. Silah, wonderful exhortation to the people. Now he talks about the various classes of society, vapor that vanishes. The sons of Adam are but vapor. Sons of Adam, sons of men are but vapor. And men of distinction are deceitful. So he talks about a general lower class, general class of men. And then he talks about an upper class of men in life. They're but vapor. Men of distinction are deceitful. If you took them all together and put them on a scale, they, <laughs> they wouldn't weigh as much as vapor. Do not trust in oppression and do not put vain hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. His message to his people is this. The farther you are away from God, the more of nothing you become, vapor. So he starts out with two classes of people, but he says, now let's put them all together. When you put all of the world, worldly people together, high and low, 
When you put them all together, they're lighter than vapor. They're meaningless. They're nothing. They can't stand. And so you don't, you don't put your trust in the things of men because it's an empty hope. It's an empty hope to hope in robbery or, or, or riches. Don't set your heart on that. That won't, that won't do anything for you. What does it profit a man? Jesus asked in Mark's gospel. What does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? Well, he's, he's worse than vapor. He's gained absolutely nothing. Finally, true power and mercy. Adonai has spoken once. Now he uses a different title, a different address, a different name. Adonai, master, sovereign, sovereign Lord, my owner, my master has spoken once. As a matter of fact, I've heard him twice on this. Power belongs to Elohim. Doesn't belong to man. Doesn't belong to a group of men. Doesn't belong to a group of nations. Doesn't belong to a king or kings. It belongs to Adonai. He is master. He is master of all. And to you, Adonai, belongs loving kindness, covenant love. That's that word. That's that word that speaks of God's covenant love, loving kindness. And it is a word that exists because it describes God's feeling, God's emotion toward his covenant people. To you, Adonai, belongs loving kindness. The force of the covenant comes from God to man. It cannot go from man to God. He must come to where we are. We cannot go to where he is. He comes to us and assumes all of the responsibility. David never loses sight of that. It's all of God. So to Adonai belongs the covenant love, the kindness of covenant love. For you repay a man according to his deed, to his enterprise, to his, to his work in life. Because he's just, he is a just God and because he's master. You know, the master would always at the end of the day call the slaves in and give them what they had coming. He would pay them. Some would receive more than others. But David assumes the place of a servant in addressing God as Adonai, acknowledging that his covenant love is the strong bond. It has to come from him to us. It cannot go from us to him. And he takes care of everything. So he sits silently. His soul sits silently. And he knows at the end of it, because of God's covenant love, he'll take care of everything. Let's pray. We'll be through. Father, we love you. Oh, God, thank you for your salvation and for your strong and mighty arm that holds us, protects us. And Father, we're thankful for how you can protect us when, of course, we cannot protect ourselves. 
So strengthen us in this lesson that we've studied tonight from this psalm and help us to know the things that David, through the inspiration of your spirit, has exhorted us to know. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.